Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we're back at it again with another episode in our sacramental series. Uh, This is one where we will be exploring uh, various aspects of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we will be digging into uh, scripture most of today uh, because I want to hopes that we can start to formulate and build out uh, the... uh, scriptural basis, the scriptural fundamentals of baptism. Uh, Baptism is the first sacrament we're taking on, and we will then uh, dig into uh, the Lord's Supper as we kind of round out this little short series. I don't know how many episodes we're going to take to get through it all, but um, I do know that we're going to be here for probably a, a number of weeks because there's a lot of material to cover, and there's a lot of means to try and articulate this stuff. Uh, and we're going to look at it from different aspects and different pieces of the Augsburg Confession, Luther's Small and Large Catechism, and we're going to look at, obviously, today's going to be Scripture. Uh, but last week, uh, it, we talked about mostly the differences between ordinances and sacraments. And uh, I, I urge you to go back and listen to that episode because we dug really deep into these concepts. And um, I really am going to, uh, as I mentioned in last week's episode, utilize the word sacrament going forward because in the Lutheran faith, that is how we view baptism in the Lord's Supper. So um, most of the uh, evangelical or Protestant churches, Reformed churches, um, will probably use this word ordinance. Uh, it can simply be defined as God-ordained ceremony. Uh, whereas the sacrament, which is heavily used in the Roman Catholicism, Lutherans, uh, some Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, might be some other Protestant movements in there as well, but they hold the, to the term sacrament is a rite through which God's grace is conveyed to an individual. So big difference uh, in the uh, approach to the you know into the sacraments because um, it is. It is crucial for us to understand this. 
Uh, and it doesn't matter what side of the fence you fall on, whether you're, uh, you know, hold to ordinances or you hold to the sacraments. It is crucial that you understand the differences between the two, and that helps to f- uh, kind of fund your, hermene- your hermeneutical approach to Scripture. Because if you look at uh, <clears throat> the sacraments as merely being ordinances, then uh, there's no weight and purpose behind them. And in a sense, I, I can argue with this to say that if it's just an ordinance, if it's just a God-given ceremony, then why, you know, then, then, then there's really no importance to it. It's just us following through with, you know, like a feast that the Jews felt, uh, followed through with. But if we hold to the fact that this isn't uh, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism are not a means by which man does anything. It's by which God comes to us through these elements and through the preaching of his word. Then that changes the scope and changes, in my opinion, the way we really approach scripture altogether. And, and I think both of these can have a major implication on how we approach scripture and in the light that we read the text, because we have a plethora of scripture we're going to look at today. Uh, and we are going to dig into that. So uh, we talked a brief moment about it last time on the show where we looked at Acts chapter 2 and Romans 6, but we're going to dig into those a little bit more. Um, and I want to, uh, you know, spend some time kind of cultivating through what the understanding of these verses are. And uh, we should understand uh, the importance and the weight that they demonstrate. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, once we work through scripture, we'll kind of see where it leads us. We're going to look at some early church fathers as well. Um, and uh, we're going to actually look at these verses in light of how the earliest church fathers understood the text. So we're going to do a little commentary look today, uh, and then we'll spend some time with the early church fathers. Uh, and then we're going to uh, kind of take on the argument, I think, of infant baptism versus uh, uh, credo baptism. So we're going to look at that as well. All of these things are on my table to work us through, and we will dedicate the appropriate amount of time to each. We will be taking our time going through this, so if we get to a 30-minute marker and we are only three or four verses in, then we are only three or four verses in, and we will pick back up next week. And uh, so this series could go very long because I want to be respectful of time, and I think that 30-minute marker is appropriate for the show. And... uh, and most people's attention spans today uh, seems to be about 30 minutes and then they kind of zonk out. Uh, so I, I try to make the make it to where it's short and sweet uh, and we just cram as much information in there as we can. So uh, this being a bonus series, the patrons get this show weeks in advance. Uh, today I'm recording March 7th. Last week I recorded on March 1st and uh, my patrons had that episode uh, since then. That was baptism part one. Baptism part two is today, obviously. And then uh, whenever that airs after we work through the Book of Concord on our Lutheran series, that'll be then. So if we look at the scripture in general, uh, we've got a a handful of text that uh, obviously all New Testament text that help us to understand and articulate what baptism uh, uh, does. And these, again, are not exhaustive. they don't include the Great Commission, uh, which is, you know, go into the world making disciples and baptizing them. Uh, so that's an argument that we'll look into as well is uh, what comes first, making them a disciple or baptizing. So that's uh, an interesting topic to take on, but we'll get there. Nothing is off the table when it comes to this series. So Acts chapter 2, 
38 through 39. So Peter uh, is preaching at Pentecost and he delivers this ex- uh, extraordinarily profound sermon and it captivates the hearers so much. In fact, that they say, what must we do now? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy spirit for this is the promise uh, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who calls on our God calls to himself or everyone whom the Lord, our God calls to himself. So Peter has given us this text and he's telling you, go and be baptized. This is a promise given to you and to your children. Uh, So we must recognize the desperate state, the confessing of sins and to be washed by God. Uh, We can turn back to Matthew chapter three when we see a note on um, the baptismal that John the Baptist is giving. Uh, For instance, the goal of John's baptism at the Jordan River was to produce repentance the confessing of sins, those who were baptized and confessed their sins could uh, could be certain of their forgiveness of sins. Uh, this is what John Christos Dunn says, when the sacrifice was not yet offered, how was remission to take place? Had they not condemned themselves, they could not have sought after his grace and not seeking, they could not have obtained remission. Thus the baptism led the way for this. Wherever also he said that they should believe on him which should come after him. So uh, pretty important uh, connection there uh, because the baptism, if we turn back to John the Baptist, uh, was a baptism of repentance, one to call in recognition of one's sin. What Peter is calling is to essentially assert that same thing. It's a recognition of one's sin, but... He's not saying that this is a state to which you will be able to do this. It is Christ that is going to essentially give you repentance. Uh, And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, this distinguishes baptism mandated by Christ from that of John the Baptist and the other Jewish groups. This does not rule out the use of the full Trinitarian wording that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 19. Uh, For the forgiveness of sins, the chief blessing of baptism, uh, especially helpful emphasis on this view of verse 37, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is received through baptism. And this again goes to John chapter 3, verse 5, born of water and spirit. So let's back up a little bit and let's look at a couple of things. First of all, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. This is not saying to you only are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but it is a it is a fact that it is distinguishing the baptism that Jesus commanded from the Baptist baptism that John the Baptist performed and other Jewish groups perform. This baptism is in the triune God. And so when I baptize a person, I am baptizing them in the name of the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. That is a proper demonstration of baptism. And uh, so we should understand that this text is not ruling out against the use of the Trinitarian form uh, for baptism. Uh, so the forgiveness of sins, Peter's flat out telling you right here in the text that this is what baptism does for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and I know that, that, that stings some people because they, they, they want to think that a work in their eyes, again, this goes back to the ordinances and sacramental view. 
if they view that this is an ordinance, then they can't possibly attribute the forgiveness of sins to this. But Peter tells us right here in the text that you will be you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of the triune God, for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the beautiful promise that Paul, uh, Peter gives us here. He says, this promise is for you, he's speaking to the crowd, and for your children and all of whom are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, here's the kicker. Uh, a lot of people like to argue that there is no, there's no explicit demonstration of, of infant baptism in the text. And you're right. There's not a baby being baptized anywhere in the New Testament. I will concede to that, Mark. There is none. Not a, not a single penny shows up. However, we see continuously over and over that whole households were baptized, which in this context would include young children, infants, um, slaves, servants, workers, anybody that you know lived and served in the house, they were baptized. Cornelius in chapter 10 of Acts is a perfect demonstration of that. And in fact, uh, throughout the book of Acts, we see whole households continuously being baptized. But see this this mark here in verse 39 that Peter's giving us that this promise is for you. He's given it to the people listening to him, but it's also for their children. So when they go home after being baptized, then they can convey that promise to their children that Christ will forgive you of your sins. And then they will baptize their children and baptize their spouse and and so on and so forth. And so this is a, a crucial verse in my opinion, in my view, of her, you know, the hermeneutical approach I take to scripture that articulates that children are just as vital in this promise that's being delivered by Peter here as, as an adult is. In fact, we could turn back and, and not even a baptismal text, but we could turn back to when Jesus is preaching and all the children are trying to come to him and the disciples essentially kind of barricade them off from Jesus. And he says, no, let all of the young children come to me. And then we get that famous text that anybody uh, were to cause a small child to sin, let the millstone be cast around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. That's pretty strong language, but it demonstrates the love that Christ has for children. And it also demonstrates the fact that the, the child has such a faith that an adult possibly can't comprehend. Uh, it is just blind obedience, essentially, um, blind faith. They just they just believe what is being told to them, and and that is essentially how the, the faith of Christianity is. You, you will, for most of the church, they will not see Christ until He returns. In fact, from you know thirty three, thirty four A.D. until today, uh, there's this you know uh, almost two thousand year gap. Of, of church history where we are just to accept what Christ says almost at face value. But see, the beauty of the text is, is when the gospel is preached to us, we have been given faith. Paul notes this in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing the word preached. And so we can believe it that Jesus says these things. And so we don't have to see him to believe. We are given. In fact, he tells us, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. Anyways, let's move on. We got a lot of text to cover. We got a lot of time to get through this, though. Uh, and, and as always, the clock is moving against us. So for today's episode, I don't know if we're going to get through all the text, but we're going to do it. We're going to take a swing at it. So Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. This is what Paul writes. He says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptismal by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. And so, again, Paul continues. Uh, Paul's not one that really often articulates uh, baptism, but when he does, he gives us some tough uh, verbiage here. You know, verse three, baptized into Christ. This baptism connects us to the work of Christ, clothing us in his righteousness. Then the question is posed, baptized into his death. Christ paid the penalty of our sin. Christ's work is applied to us in baptism. And buried uh, and uh, by baptism here in verse four, uh, as Jesus was covered by the earth of his burial, we are buried in the baptismal water. Early Christian baptismal practices reflected the Jewish uh, tabula rite of purification, which was full immersion. However, there were other ways to wash and baptize. Uh, just as Christ was raised, we are united with Christ's death and burial so that we, so that we will be united to his resurrection and life. By the glory of the Father, God's power was gloriously revealed in the resurrection. Christ's work gives us a new life, life that is free from guilt. And here's what Luther says. Imagine that there was a doctor somewhere who understood the art of saving people from death. Or even though they died, they could be restore, he could restore them quickly to life so that they could uh, afterward live forever. Oh, how the world would pour in money like snow and rain. No one could find access to him because of the throng of the rich. But here in baptism, there is freely brought to everyone's door such a treasure in medicine that is utterly that it utterly destroys death and preserves all people alive. That's his commentary here on uh, Romans uh 6.4, it is commentary found in the book of Concord, which we will, again, probably revisit uh, very shortly uh, in this series. So uh, that's Romans 6. Let's move on to Colossians 2. Paul, again, in chap- uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, here we see this connection that Paul will often use uh, between baptism and circumcision. And in this framework, Paul is telling us that this is not a circumcision by the hands. This is not a circumcision uh, of the flesh, but it is a circumcision of the heart. And uh, this is, uh, Paul actually even argues against this notion of circumcision saving one. Uh, in the early chapters in Romans, uh, I believe at the end of chapter two, he does this. And uh, But what it points us to is that it is not that outward sign that saves us. It's not the you know actual act of circumcision that would save a Jewish man, but it was the heart circumcision that would change and save the Jewish uh, men. And so Paul is equating or equating uh, this concept of circumcision um, of the heart to baptism. Uh, he says it's bluntly here. In him also you were circumcised, but with a circumcision made without hands. You had put off the body of flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ, you have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful work in God, who raised him from the dead. Now, this is an a interesting notion, and it goes back to uh, you know the, the kind of verbiage he uses in Romans 6, where we have been buried into a baptism. Uh, we kind of alluded to it that most baptisms in the early church were done by full immersion. That does not mean that that is the only and right way to do it. You can fully fully immerse somebody or you can uh, pour water on their head and uh, sprinkle it on their head, however you choose. As long as water is present, as long as God's word is present, the baptism is a formal sacrament. If the water is not present, in fact, uh, this was a story told to us in seminary that a pastor uh, was in a church and he decided uh that he was not going to, or that he was performed a baptism and then realized that the water was not present. And he was he decided that he was going to go on with the, uh, the ceremony. And he acted like he was scooping water out and pouring it on the child, uh, which that would make it an invalid baptism. If water is not present, then there's no means to which we can convey, uh, this saving work through. It has to be done with water. Baptism is not done with, you know, uh, somebody's, uh, you know, good air. It's not done by somebody's drink of choice. It's done by water. And, and I think that helps us to understand that, you know, whether you are fully immersed or sprinkled or, you know, have water poured over you, as long as water is present and as long as God's word is present, it is a true sacrament. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Luke writes this. He says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Paul writes in Titus 3, 4, and 7, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done to us by righteousness, but by according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's very strong language that Paul uses in Titus uh, to articulate the power and workings of baptism. He is demonstrating that this is a washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this is, again, echoing the words that Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and what Luke writes later in Acts uh, to rise and be baptized for the washing away of your sins. This is the regeneration. It is the removal of original sin. First Peter, uh, chapter three, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. Peter writes, "Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as the appeal to God for a good conscience, the, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. For if we have been united with him in a death like this." Uh, with the death like his, we will certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. That's it. I mean, that right there, we can, I mean, there's, there's, you, you can't argue that. And, and, the, and the fact that if you want to say that baptism doesn't save you, you're going against Peter in his writing. And you're saying, no, Peter was wrong. Well, then if you're saying that Peter's wrong and you're saying Peter didn't really mean that, then you're saying 
there could be other passages in Scripture that aren't truthful in their nature. If either all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is inherent, then then uh, then all Scripture is true. And if and if one fragment of it is wrong, then none of Scripture is breathed out by God. It can't possibly be one or the other. You can't have a mixing of both. It's one or the other. It is either God breathed it all out or he didn't breathe any of it out. Either baptism saves you or the text just is flat out wrong and our hermeneutics are completely shot to the dust. Because if Peter's stating this, that baptism now saves you, what is it saving you from? Saves you from sin, death, and the devil. It's the removal of original sin. Peter is articulating. This is what he taught. This is what he said back in uh, Acts chapter 2 when he said, baptize and for the forgiveness of your sins. That is what saves you. Baptism is that work. Again, I can argue on this forever and ever. I can get on my footstool and, and just go after it. But I want to just leave the scripture and uh, as it says it. And you can't go to any other translation. I mean, you could probably find other translations that change this, but this is looking at it from an ESV perspective. And uh, this is the moment that we should take upon ourselves to uh, review Scripture and understand that this is uh, the fullness and completeness of what God's Word tells us. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus Answer, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdoms of God. And so, uh, again, it comes to this uh, concept that if we uh, argue Scripture and say that either some of Scripture is authoritative and and used for teaching and rebuking or uh, none of Scripture is, it's either all or, or none. We can't pick and choose. And that's the same thing. We can't pick and choose which doctrines of Scripture we want to believe in and not believe in. We can't pick and choose which doctrines we're going to teach on and not teach on. We either teach the whole Bible or we are teaching a false gospel. That's really the, the, the truth behind it. And if we neglect the passages of baptism and the weight that they carry with them, then we are neglecting so much uh, of Scripture that can be demonstrated to us. Again, richness and fullness of Scripture uh, that is uh, often missed if we don't uh, have a fullness and understanding that all of it is authoritative. And I would also venture to say that we you know, get into this element and it helps us to really, we have to be solid in our view of whether we see baptism as a sacrament or as, a, as an ordinance. Those uh, that particular view will help you in your articulation of this text. If it's an ordinance, then baptism doesn't save you, and that goes against what Peter just said. Uh, if 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 it's a sacrament and we view it's God's work in us because God's the one that saves us, then baptism is a means by which God saves us. Then Peter's words are true. That is going to wrap up this show. It's a little shorter than our normal ones. We're going to just leave it at this because we're going to continue the series on through the church fathers and see what they have to say about the text we just said. And, uh, and then we will go on further. All right, that is it for this week, guys. God bless. Have a wonderful week. We will see everybody later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 